Welcome back to the Digital Literacies Podcast. On today's episode, we will be discussing the topic of disinformation. We live in a world where any person with an internet connection can say anything they wish and send it out online where anyone could see it. And that, of course, can lead to tons of disinformation being spread. Before we dive into this topic, uh, let's uh, introduce ourselves. Hey, everyone. I'm Jessica, and I am a fine art major currently getting my teacher certification in art education. And I'm Ernesto. Um, I'm a student in the art education master's program. My name is Alex. I'm a current art education student, a current graphic designer, and that's it. So I think a good place to start would be to define disinformation and media literacy, which was a huge part of this week's readings as well. Disinformation uh, is defined as false or misleading information that is spread deliberately to deceive, which is different from misinformation, which is also false or misleading information, uh, but it's that despite the intent of the person who spread the information. Sometimes people are just mistaken, while disinformation is uh, actively um, with the agenda in mind for the person publishing it. Media literacy is defined as the ability to access, analyze, evaluate, create, and act using all forms of communication. With that being said, there are many ways in which we can creatively use media literacy as an outlet to spread information. However, that information can be manipulated in many ways to enforce an opinion, a fact, as well as an idea. When we talk about media and disinformation, who exactly is manipulating the media? I mean, we should really delve into, I mean, there's a various ways we can, I think that internet trolls, I think a lot of us who are familiar with Twitter and Instagram and Facebook have been in one way or another confronted or have seen other people confront an internet troll. So let's talk about what exactly is an internet troll. Well, I think an internet troll would be someone who, uh, an internet troll would be someone who actively seeks out uh, the mispleasure of other people online. That's how I would try to describe it, I suppose. I guess they talk about in one of the articles, um, I don't know the name of it, about how they do it for the lols, right? Like, uh, uh, <laughs> it was interesting to read. Um, it's, it's funny to see things written that I normally just talk about. But um, yeah, I mean, and I, mean, I don't know. I guess trolls have different motivations, right? I mean, some of them are just, that's, that's they're fun. Some of them have an audience to kind of, you know, I, I definitely have seen some web comics who kind of post their exploits on Reddit with, you know, the, the character they've created and how they've been able to trick people into to believing that it's a real person. Um, I mean, there, there's bots, right? I mean, and I don't think they talk about bots as trolls. The bots certainly can be kind of trolling, I would think, um, how they, they function on the internet, right? I don't know. Um, it's, it's a, it's just kind of like another venue for, I don't know if it's quite bullying, but it's, it, I, I think it's in the same, the same realm. Yeah, I, I'd say it probably falls under the 
umbrella of cyberbullying. If I had to like put it somewhere, I'd definitely put it there. But I find it interesting, Jessica, that you brought up uh, internet trolls because when I thought about um, people who like or media being used uh, to uh, kind of misinform or like kind of like mislead people, my my initial thought became um, like the people surrounding and influencing those specific news places. So like higher ups, uh, people who like may not want certain stories to air. As a simple example, I would imagine that Bloomberg News is probably not going to publish stories that make Michael Bloomberg look bad um, and stuff like that. And I think a part of media literacy is trying to understand those parts of our uh, reality and society that are never stated, but are definitely relevant. And I think understanding those types of things are very important. Yeah, of course. Well, I think trolls really embark on ruining the representation, the reputation of certain people, their organizations or companies, and they really try to manipulate people to think that they're this like possibly awful person or this really bad organization. It could really hurt them financially. It could hurt them politically, and. I think that when we think about trolls and media literacy, we have a lot of influencers, we have a lot of leaders, we have a lot of educators who all play a part in the media literacy. So I think that with this whole trolling aspect, it could be detrimental to some people in a way where if um, teenagers are looking through Twitter and they see this whole hack hashtag happening or you know this could even go as far as bringing up the cancel culture it takes that one troll to bring up a fabricated story and now it takes off when you think about it in those aspects even bringing up offensive speech and you know really poking fun at people so again back to cyber bullying yeah and i think i mean i think it's interesting that they're going to hear both parts of that you know I, what are the motivations of people putting out the news? You know, um, if you think of, I think the article discusses Breitbart as having sort of their own agenda with what they're with with what they're submitting, and but I think sometimes the techniques of trolling can be used by people that are not necessarily that would be normally identified as trolls, but they're using kind of that that um, approach to to um, get people on their side. I think it like the alt right talking. I don't know. And uh, kind of trying to target vulnerable, disenfranchised young men, and kind of getting them in, engaged in, in whatever they're they're looking to do. I know that they, I know that they use a uh, a technique of isolationism, sort of like they try to get someone to only receive information from them, that one source, and kind of allow uh, that person to sort of develop. Uh, I guess you'd call it a confirmation bias where from that point on, once they have those ideas in their head, when they see other stories, um, they can kind of pick and choose uh, the parts of the story that help uh, prove what they already believe. And that's not something that's unique to any one political standing. I think we all have confirmation biases. I have a bizarre question. 
when we think about trolling, do you think that it falls under the line of some type of creative aspect when we use all forms of communication? Do you think that this fabrication, <laughs> in a sense, is creative, even though it's- It's like an art project? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of thought that goes into this ruining of people's reputations. I think there's a lot of time in analyzing that goes into it, especially when it comes to really delving into someone's personal history, their company. I mean, they attack, I think, all these individual aspects of a person and who they're made of. So there's this a lot of research that goes into it. You just reminded me of an episode of Black Mirror with that type of talk. <laughs> it's like specifically the one about blackmail and the the young teenager getting a uh, uh, a uh, an intimate moment of his life captured on film and then forced to do the bidding of these um, anonymous people online. And in the end, uh, when his life's basically ruined, they reveal like, yeah, they just did it for the lulls, as uh, Ernesto might say. <laughs> it was funny you brought that up because actually um, the whole idea of like sharing sexualized content reminds me of the gamer gators, which is also part of people who manipulate the media. Want to touch base on who the gamer gators are? Yeah, um, if you could give us a definition for that term, that would be awesome because I am unsure about it. So the Gamer Gators um, really focus on targeting feminist media. So they kind of, they consider themselves, I guess you could say geeks in a sense where they're part of their video gaming movement. And so this is a quote from straight from the story on page eight off of media manipulation. And it says that Gamergator's origins are complicated. Briefly, software developer Zoe Quinn became a target of an organized brigade after her ex-boyfriend published a 10,000 word screed about her on his blog. He claimed that Quinn lied to him, cheated on him, most damagingly slept with a video game reviewer to get favorable coverage of her game, Depression Quest. So Game Gator has become shorthand for a particular kind of Greek masculinity that feels victimized and disenfranchised by mainstream society, particularly popular feminism. Right. I, I think it's, uh, I think that's where the whole like Chad and Alpha Beta like stuff gets talked about right yeah uh, the whole like incel nice guy type right. stuff um right. that also opens up an interesting course of discussion about um people with followers uh using those followers to attack others when they believe they were wronged and theoretically someone who uh is not super cool can uh uh use those uh use misleading information to get people onto their sides and i think that's where a lot of like a lot of internet controversies followers um whether or not they're blind followers will uh take both sides and it's not even about the event or whatever it may have been it's more about the person that uh they've 
been following and just enjoy whatever they uh, make content-wise. Do you think that some of this relates to the like medium of the internet, if that's the right word for it, um, just because it, it, it helps create a barrier to empathy? You know, it's, it's, it's a lot about like, what about me in terms of my own experience? And I don't feel like this is true. Therefore, everybody's wrong and I need to hurt them. Yeah, um, I, I mean, exactly that. Everyone feels safer when, like, behind a keyboard when it's not in person, when you don't have to look someone in the eye, and it just empathy gets a little less uh, noticeable, I suppose, where it, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily about like anything that person might have done specifically they may have even just stated an opinion or shared something that reminded you of something else and i think it's just definitely a lot easier to uh have that a lack of empathy and just kind of be more hostile on the internet um and i think that's definitely fair to consider that that might have something to do with it yeah, I agree. I think not having any connection to whoever you're communicating with, you don't know their background, you don't know who they are, it's much easier to look at them almost like a robot and attack, in a sense, when there's no physical communication with that person, I think it's easier to just say whatever you want. So I totally agree with what you said, Alex. Do you think that scales with the like, attempts at mass media manipulation i know we're talking a lot about the um, trolls but like you know the, the people that kind of have the larger agendas with with disinformation do you think the the, the the lack of empathy scales with that i mean i don't know you know where is it well, i think it depends on what the drive is you know i think if it's money based i think any empathy is cut off because they're greedy and I think a lot of this manipulation can happen through influence of money. I think a lot of people create fake websites, they create fake channels in favor of someone because they are going to get money for it or they're going to get some type of compensation for whatever information they're putting out. And even like uh, things with the news, like I think it's super important to look into every every aspect of anything who's that's related to that news outlet or uh newspaper and basically anyone who's given the money um sponsorships um like higher ups because if a company is being sponsored by like uh like a company they're probably not gonna be running stories about uh that negatively impact that company it's like a you scratch your back i scratch my back type of thing even if it's misleading or just straight up just ignoring a story because it would paint them in a bad light, I'd still consider that disinformation if it was important and something people should know. Yeah, they're picking and choosing and creating their own story of maybe pieces of information and I think creating all together a totally different idea. I think that happens in the news all the time, depending on who the that particular news channel is in favor of but is there any is there anybody who doesn't have some sort of agenda somewhere i mean i guess there's the ideal of the unbiased un, un particularly motivated reporter who's just presenting facts but is that like a real thing <laughs> i don't know 
I don't I don't think there is. I think even even those who will, will claim to not have a bias, it's impossible not to because it's impossible not to see the world from your own perspective. I think it's as simple as that. We all see different things every day and we're all going to think different things based on the things that we have seen and learned. And I think understanding that alone and being able to learn about uh, more information about the sources behind uh, your media and who sends it to you, where it comes from. Um, I think all that is incredibly important to, uh, to, to practice and start uh, learning on an individual basis. And I think, I mean, that, that in my mind, it brings me to um, sort of the articles or one of the articles attempts to like, what do we do now? How do we, how do we teach kids or, you know, mm-hmm. how do we more media literate? But I, I wonder about like their parents, I mean, and, and households where certain news sources are maybe highly valued. Does it matter if we're teaching them to be critical in a certain way, if they're, they're getting a different message at home? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I wonder about sort of the various ways that we learn what to trust and what not to trust. Um, and I don't think we can expect school to be sort of a panacea for it um, when there's just so many influences. It's super difficult, not just even for that, and just also because the idea, the whole like thing behind media literacy is that it is a personal responsibility for each person. Like it's not something that like you can just snap your fingers and it changes like high up in our governments or in like anyone like who's controlling the world. Like every person has to like understand media literacy, learn about it, and be open to the idea that disinformation is out there and they're vulnerable to it. I think a lot of uh, the problem is just like not enough people are learning about it. I think that's just one of the hardest things about media literacy is that it's a personal responsibility. I agree. I think the best thing is to educate on the vulnerabilities that are in media literacy. I mean, I think students also have to be aware of how realistic certain things can seem just because a website or a video can be completely woven together artistically to be this uh, beautiful documentation of what seems like a good site for information can altogether completely be inaccurate. I think some of the good things to look for is, you know, if you see like .com or .org or, you know, I think there are certain things to look out for when it comes to certain websites. I know that Wikipedia is something that also is something to watch out for that I have learned in school. I think, you know, looking into different authors, publishers, I mean, there's so much that you have to look into instead of just trying to see facts because we don't even know if those facts are essentially accurate. That goes into the idea of a video that was shown in my science class about mermaids and it was by Nat Geo. And I thought it was real just because it was by Nat Geo. I mean, it was this whole idea of since it's by this documentary organization that this is going to be real information. It was documented so factually that I really genuinely had me towards the end where the disclaimer came up and I said, this isn't real. And when my science teacher took it off, they said, this is a perfect example of things to watch out for. Not everything you look at is for real. I thought that was, you know, an eye-opening example of how easily 
we fall into believing things I think we're gullible sometimes there's definitely a a name for that like just like the like the official like truth effect where if something looks official and well researched then we're probably more likely to believe it's true I don't know if that's true so that could potentially be misinformation so (laughs) but that's just what it seems like to me Mm -hmm. I think some of the I think people look for fame and attention when things are done like that so articulated I think some of the goals behind that are just grabbing that intention and fame factor I think that influences a lot of disinformation currently circulating yeah and it probably it and I I know it was me guessing a little but I, I think you know people give credibility to things that lots of people are talking about because if so many people are talking about it there must be there must be something to it right and i think that's just kind of a, a fallacy of the human mind yeah um, that's um sorry to interrupt you really quick i actually have i have the name for that one the oh. illusory truth effect which is believing false information after repeated exposure okay Good sorry stuff. continue <laughs> yeah no yeah yeah um and then i i think another barrier to to having a good understanding of media literacy um, is there's an unwillingness to question what we have. You know, and that, that, that brings me to that article. Um, what is it? Why facts no longer matter with the woman who just doesn't believe that HIV, you know, is related to AIDS and that her, her child had AIDS. Um, and when, when the child was dead, uh, she's quoted as saying, I'm devastated, broken, grieving mother. Um, but I am not second guessing or questioning my understanding of the issue. You know, what do you do with that kind of barrier? An unwillingness to even reconsider that you're you're wrong once you've been entrenched in, in such a a mistaken belief. I don't know. You know? I, it's it's so hard to consider how to help help that kind of way of thinking or to help like just change it. Just because if the person themselves, even after something that tragic, won't consider their own perspective um, and just that maybe they were wrong. I don't know if there's any convincing after something like that. Well, I think that goes into the idea of selective perception, which um, is going to be eventually discussed. And that's a whole idea of wanting to look at things that's more attractive to whatever you believe in. And I think that when people already have this preconception of how they they want to find this alternative truth that is going to accommodate with how they think. And they'll automatically, you know, there's so many people in the world who would rather believe that if you just think your way into being healthy or if, if you really believe that breastfeeding won't pass it on to your child, I mean, they're going to want to believe that. Everybody wants to be a mother to their child. People want to have that experience so after she copied 50,000 and sold 50,000 books I mean people unfortunately it caused a domino effect of other people getting affected by this in a negative way I think it's I mean where's the what's it called where's the damage control when something like that happens you know, that all goes into disinformation, how it could negatively affect people, but how, um, I mean, is there any opening to how disinformation can positively affect people? Is that ever even a question or is that even up for debate? 
I think that's sort of the danger of disinformation is that the idea the that that you're that 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 you, you that people may think they're it's for some greater good, but you're doing it subversively, right? Like you're you're tricking people into believing something because you think you know better than everybody else and the facts don't matter. It's the, your own personal truth. Yeah, I it's mean, it it's the classic I was lying to you to protect you like type excuse. No one likes that excuse. Everyone hates that excuse. Yeah. Because because it's I, I think for the most part, it's always best to try and identify disinformation and understand uh the uh others like uh points of interest and what their uh motivations can be um but yeah that is an interesting point to think about though and definitely something i will take away with me from <laughs> from this episode because now i'm determined to try and think of a positive use for disinformation yeah, is there i don't you know because any type of disinformation takes away from the facts it takes away from what is the truth behind what you should know so it's where is that line drawn sometimes or should there even be an existing line i think that disinformation is a huge issue right now so it's i think that some people could argue and be well sometimes like you said is for the greater good i have a quick question um can media literacy even be successful in preparing citizens to deal with fake news and information? It's gonna. It would be very difficult, um, and for it to be successful on, on like a large scale, it would have to be a huge movement, um, very well like planned out and taught. Basically, like just in every like school or just everywhere. Um, but I think on a personal level. Uh, it can definitely help people to better understand um, the media and how to interpret that and media literacy as a whole. I think it can be successful. I mean, media literacy in itself, again, is creating different ways of how to produce information. And in a sense, having and preparing citizens is using media literacy you know youtube can be a way of maybe having a discussion even a podcast we're talking about it right now that could be successful in preparing for fake news i think what we're doing right now in itself is pointing out different ways that disinformation is manipulated and how it's used in media i guess i guess my thoughts on that is, is that it has to be like an ongoing discussion and something that people are constantly willing to learn about because you know media literacy for people born before uh you know memes and and facebook and and everything that are that are coming into and then kind of have to interact with it now you know they're they're not they're not in school with a teacher being like oh make sure you're careful about whether or not you believe the the things you're seeing there because they're, they're watching their friends post it and that's sort of how it's spreading among them, I, I, you know. So are we are we always learning? Are we always willing to to think that we don't know how to navigate truth and what what are facts? I don't know, you know. But I, and so I, I, it has to just kind of a, a forever education because I don't know if we can anticipate what kind of things are going to happen in the future that we then are going to have to be literate with moving forward. You know, I, I and I don't know. I I could I could live in a cave, I guess, and then just be done with it all. <laughs> Uh, that's a I wouldn't mind living in a cave away from everything. Yeah. Um, but that is a good point. And I think with that, uh, just about wraps up uh, our little episode here. So, yes, thank you all for listening. <laughs>